0: the Comics Asylum podcast, where we explore the world of comic books, movies, television, and pop culture. My name is Steve Bino, and this week, Walter Duralia of Big B Comics stops by to chat about the comic book industry from a retailer's point of view. All right, welcome to Comics Asylum. I'm here with Walter Duralia from Big B Comic Books in Hamilton and the International Comic Exchange. Did I get that right? You did. All right, excellent. So uh, I guess the acronym is ICE. It is. ice. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, cool as ice. So uh, I want to welcome Walt to the asylum. And um, how's everything been for 2020 with you?
1: Been an eventful year. Steve. But um, pushing through, we're almost near the end. Um, like I said, lots of, uh, uh, a lot of things happened this year that nobody expected. But um, and it's, uh, we'll talk about it a little later. But the results were also things that we didn't expect, you know, things, things are turning out way different than we thought they'd turn out when this thing all started.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I guess um, the biggest hurdle would have been the lockdown and how did you guys adjust to not having people be able to come into your store?
1: Yeah, that was in uh, the end of March, April into May. Um, We uh, had roadside pickup side pickup we did that we also did uh deliveries um so we dropped books off people at their door um and those pretty well the only two avenues that we had physically at at our shop we we, we were able to drive books out to people and products and people were uh, able to come tap on the front door and we would come out and give them their bag and stuff so uh but obviously you're limited, uh, what, maybe 10% of the economic activity you're used to doing that way.
0: And what, what, what kind of, um, initiatives did you guys put in place to kind of generate more, um, customers coming into your shop or even to maintain the link, um, and the the bonds that you guys have had with previous customers?
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, we offered the roadside pickup, curbside pickup. I always get that wrong. Um, And we offered the delivery and uh, Dylan who runs our our store was doing a lot of correspondence via email um, posting things on our Facebook uh, on our Instagram things like that just communicating to the to the public what's going on. Um, And we also did a a thing in Hamilton. We did. It was a comic care package. So what we did is we uh, bundled up 12 comic books just generic older comic books. One offs we, we, we made sure it wasn't like part three of a five part story. And um, anybody that signed up for it in Hamilton uh, would get them delivered free. So it was like uh, kids, you know, the kids are going squirrely at home. So we came up with this comic care package for any parents that want to sign up. And uh, I think we had like 350 deliveries uh, we had to cut it off after three days because we ran out of books. It was like 4,000 comics. Right. Wow! And um, so we go, Oh, you know what? This will last us all summer. And like literally within three days, we had 350 signups. And uh, then we had uh, about a four day period. We were, we were delivering to about 90 homes each day. And uh, that did that, the community liked that. So there's good word of mouth about the shop. We were trying that and um, you know, a, we were hoping, obviously, just to keep the name alive and keep, uh, and do something also positive for people in lockdown and people that couldn't get out and about to get stuff, right? So uh, that went well. But other than that, really, Steve, not much locally. Like uh, when you talk about our online business, that took off. That, that went crazy, right? Uh, but in terms of Hamilton in-store, you know, we were, we were very limited.
0: And the, the, the industry has had, I would say a couple of seismic shifts uh, due to COVID and it's reverberating um, through DC uh, with what their parent company wants to do and and kind of restructure. How has the change in distribution channels as well as DC canceling a whole bunch of titles um, affected uh, the retailers?
1: Yeah. Once, once things got back up and running. All those changes started to happen, and uh, I mean, they sucked, right? Uh, just in terms of the work that goes on at a comic book shop, in terms of what your manager or your order people that order the books for you, it's so much easier going to a, like a Diamond, which is just one distributor. It's, you know, it's one effort, it's one task, it's one delivery. It's um, and then for Diamond, for sorry, for DC to split. And get an independent uh distributor that's now two tasks right and so the amount of work that created the amount of uncertainty it created it just it wasn't positive it was, it was a thing that we didn't want um but it's a thing we had to live with and this thing we definitely did in a hurry we jumped on it and then they gave you two or three choices on on who to go with because they had a montreal based distributor an American based distributor. And of course, our luck, we picked the one that after about six weeks went under or folded, and then we had to switch over to the other one. Mm. So um, yeah, that part of it is thankfully the books kept coming. But it was just an extra hurdle to jump through to get the books like it was it was more work for us uh, in terms of ordering. And then when they started knocking the titles down, um Good and bad, and uh, I got to be careful how I say that, Um, comic shops sometimes tend to be optimistic when they order. And there was a lot of DC titles that weren't performing. Um, And DC seeing that, they cut those titles. Uh, They went to their core, um, which is great for, you know, mass sales of your Batman and your detective and all that kind of stuff, but uh, so it made it easier on uh, whether you should pick, um, I'm making up a title, but you know, Blue Beetle, I know he wasn't around, but you know, should I order four extra copies of Blue Beetle for the shelf? Uh, you know, that decision was taken away from me because they, they cut those titles, right? So uh, you could have either done yourself some harm or you could have done yourself some good, but that was taken off the table. You were stuck with kind of the, the core titles that were easier to pick, I guess. I, I, the best way would be is, is you're prone to make less mistakes with a smaller group of better performing titles as a comic shop, but you're robbing the end user of choice.
0: And, and does that play into the independent um, market as well too? In what way? In in terms of what you guys would then be able to to order from them?
1: Well, I'm sorry, I misunderstood
0: the question. So, so for independent publishers, oh, okay. um, publishers, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry uh, for not making that clear. But for independent publishers, then does that then give the comic book um, store more leeway to order more copies from them because they want to have more product for their for their customers, or does that shut that down as well too because everyone is just trying to be a little bit more safe?
1: Again, it's a dangerous game, right? Because now you want to have, you know, maybe maybe your new this week section has um, I'm making up a number 80 slots in it or something like that. And DC cuts out 10, 15 titles. You, you might want to up 10, 15 titles on the independent side, but most comic shops, they tend not to do so well on um, independence, like the independent titles just don't sell as well. And there's a little bit of uh, we're a little gun-shy when we're ordering extra copies of independence. So I don't think, I don't think for us to transfer it into, now we're going to go higher and harder on the independence. I don't think that we did that at all, which again is, uh, um, hurting the selection for the customer coming in. Right. Um, So yeah, I would say, no, I would say we did not definitely order. We didn't have like a plan. Okay. Now we're going to order more independence.
0: It's interesting because with the supply chain changing and the market in flux, to me, especially because you're kind of seeing the reverberations of uh, AT&T's decisions with HBO Max and what it's doing to the film industry and theaters are, you know, theater owners are are in a panic as well as certain creators. Yes, there is Is that tectonic shift also filtering down to the comic book store? Because- Uh, I I can imagine that the prospects of survival for a lot of shops, especially shops that aren't huge or, or, or have branched out into collectibles and and are almost like brand names, such as, you know, Big B, Silver Snail, stuff like that. um, It must be very uncertain times moving into next year.
1: It is. Um, What I think COVID did is, and you, other people have said it, it's, Expediated a process that was already underway. Uh, people thought two, three, four years, uh, but now it's this year, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so the trend was there to begin with, but I think uh, I might have, you know, privately, you and I might have talked about this one day uh, a while ago. Steve is uh, local comic book shops. I think I read somewhere that uh, graphic novels uh, for the first time. Uh, surpassed in bookstores like uh, Barnes and Nobles and Chapters and stuff have surpassed comic book shops cumulatively. Like uh, at the end of the year, more graphic novels have sold at chain box stores than they have at comic shops. Right. And so the shift, that actual balance now is shipped. So uh, publishers, their biggest customers are now box stores. They're not local comic shops anymore. And, um, I've always thought of it as local comic shops are run by sole proprietors. There's 2,500 of them, so I'm making up a number in North America. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say 500 of them are run progressively. Well, uh, 2,000 of them struggle week to week. Uh, the sole proprietor is tired, they're stuck at the counter uh, because of economics, can't hire help. Um, they, there's There, Don't get me wrong, there is tons of ambition, but there's no energy to initiate the ambition. Um, So you get decisions that aren't based on what's best for the collecting and entertainment community, the consumers that come into your store consuming that stuff. Those decisions are not made to what's best for them long-term, and that's what the publishers want. Uh, Decisions are made on... How do I pay my rent next week? Uh, I, I, I'm i not sure about this new comic coming out, so I'm going to get the nine for the people that ordered it, and I'm not going to get any for the shelf because I'm scared, right? And these cumulatively, when you have 2,000-plus people making decisions like that, it's terrible for the publisher. The publisher isn't being well-served by an organization of sole proprietors that – are struggling to survive, right? Uh, in any other kind of uh, model where you're getting product to the end user, like a bookstore or like a, I don't know, uh, magazines at, uh, the Shoppers Drug Mart or, or whatever, um, it's over order. Just ton. Just get everything out in front of the people. Make it in a nice, clean environment. Make it accessible. Make it off the highway. Make it on the way home. Make it. Um, put it in front of them, in the mall. Um, And and at least then when something sells, you'll know that you're optimizing those sales because those products are are put in front of potential customers at uh, at almost a saturation point. Um, You can't say that about comic books. It's almost the opposite for comic books. Comic books are most of the shops are still tucked away in a corner of a city somewhere that isn't frequented a lot because the rents are cheaper. Um, uh, most titles aren't ordered to the point where uh, I know some comic shop owners. Who may, if I sell out by Thursday, it's great. That means I ordered right. Well, yeah, for you maybe, but not for the end user and not for the, the industry as a whole. If you, if you know what I'm, I don't know. Yeah, if no, I totally get it. To that's kind of what's going on. So I'm looking at it from a perspective of DC, and what how how, how can they support uh, a non-organized organization like that? Like how how can they help us, right? Because we're we're not helping ourselves, but it's not really our fault because the economics of a comic shop aren't there to to propagate to push products. The the, the economics of a comic shop are are to sell through right
0: so yeah exactly and i'm and i'm just now thinking about if you know it, it you're dependent on a certain amount of titles and i know there've been issues in the past where there may have been too many titles and yep. you can't return them right so right. you're stuck with with you, what you've ordered mm-hmm. but then there's also that fine balance with it with a company like dc and and if marvel goes the same way and they slash their titles they may not be producing enough for the comic book stores to survive, but they, they're probably producing enough to keep their IPs alive mm-hmm. to then flip into movies. And there's the delicate balance of you got to maintain the places where the people can get those stories that then want to go to the theaters to watch them, you know, as, as live action, um, fair.
1: I remember, um, Early two thousands, oh five, oh three. I don't, I don't remember exactly when. But let's say oh three, oh four, oh five. Graphic novels were just kind of coming into a good thing, a good thing. But you know, coming out of the nineties, graphic novels weren't a thing, right? So comic shop owners really didn't buy into graphic novels per se. Some of the progressive ones in the big cities did, but uh, most of them didn't. And then I remember every year about four or five years, I don't exactly know how much, but uh, Diamond had a Christmas return program. So come October, you can order as many graphic novels as you want, 100% return guaranteed returnability, right? So we took advantage of that. We ordered tons. We ordered, you know, whatever they, I forget what the titles were, but I'm sure Watchmen was one of them and and all that kind of stuff. And um, thinking, you know, Oh my God, Steve, come January, then there's hardly anything to return. Right. Holy crap, this stuff sells. But we would never, ever have ordered that if, right. we, if we were afraid that we were going to eat. Right. But so I'm thinking, and, and the reason why graphic novels exploded, I honestly think was because of that program, because just the nature of the local comic book shop. Now, you're not talking about a $2 expenditure like a comic now. You're talking about a $12 expenditure on a graphic novel. Um, so it's like, oh, you know, I, I might get one, right? And if, and if it sells out on that weekend after you get it or the weekend after, you're going to be ecstatic, but you're not going to go out and buy another one. You're going to think that was it. You know, just kind of, but that return program was just so effective that the second year we, doubled it in the third year I think we doubled it again and then once that return program was like the new Walking Dead graphic novels coming out we would get 50 copies right because by then our graphic novel consumers coming into the store uh, were, were hooked they were consuming graphic novels and but I guess my point is could that something like that work with comics where diamond and thing, especially on new titles with new creators, it's something that they want to back. Um, I think the model that they use right now, honestly, is is those those, those variants, right? Uh, it's almost a way for you to get order 50 copies because you might order 12, but you know you're going to get, I don't know, making up a number, $100 for that one in 50. So you you up your order to 50 to get it. And then you technically have stock, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's designed by DC to make sure you stock that book, but I think it would have been more effective if they um, if they really thought a creative team and a new character was going to hit that they uh, supported us with uh, returnability. I thought because it worked for the graphic novels Mm is my point.
0: And is that is that program still in place for graphic novels?
1: I don't think so. No, I think it, it disappeared a decade ago.
0: Right? Okay, yeah.
1: but it was it was a thing at the beginning. We were looking at it. Should we do this? I think we should. You know, like because we literally had one of those. I think it might have had like six cubby holes for graphic novels. That's was our graphic novel section. Maybe a selection of ten unique graphic novels. I think in our shop right now we might have. 5,000 unique graphic novels, like unique title issue, issues, and some of them are 10, 20 deep, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So, but, Interesting. Yeah. And, and so just moving forward, because we don't have things like conventions where you can have those um, I guess those, those bonanza weekends for stores, right? Yeah. You can go to something like Fan Expo, you go to the Hamilton Show, um, yeah. you can travel all over the country if you really want to where you can move a lot of your inventory. What, what do you see for comic book stores moving ahead in, in, in the absence of those kind of events uh, with the backlog of, of material that they have now, and then also the change in in distribution that's going to be coming up next year.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the comic book con matured over the last 30 years as well, 50 years since, uh, San Diego, um, comic book cons were, were were tough slogging for most comic shops. They were margin. They bec- they became marginal places to make money in the sense that um, they became liquidation places for overstock for a lot of people. Um, they became very expensive to attend. Um, they took away from the weekend of the store in a way, right? Um, so I don't know from what I've been talking to other shops is not very many of us missed the cons this year because we were surprised with how well the stores were doing without cons. It's like, don't forget, people can't go to cons either so they're coming to the shop, right? So we kind of had a reverse tide effect as well. These people that would, would save up all summer to go to Fan Expo they might not have entered into a comic store in July and August saving their money. for Pan-X. Uh, I, I, okay. Maybe they were getting their, 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 Batman and Spider-Man books, but they weren't doing any extra expenditures because they were saving for the con right now. They're not saving for the con. They can, they're going to spend that at the comic shop. Maybe, right. Um, so the, the cons are tricky. The cons are tricky. I know for us personally, um, we never really missed them. I found, Steve, that personally, uh, you know, we, we also sell back issues. And, and my manager called me out on this. Dylan called me out on this a couple of years ago, actually. He says, well, you're starving the store of good back issues. And I was because I was hoarding mm-hmm. for the con. Right? right. Right. So come June, July, I, I have a couple months to get ready for Fan expo. Well, I want to show really well at Fan Expo. I want to be the king of the hill. I want to be the guy with the best books. So, a collection comes in. Now, I kind of put them aside for Fan Expo because I'm spending all that money on the tables. Uh, I want to have good sales at Fan Expo. So it was kind of a it was kind of a, a rigged sales number at Fan Expo because I was cheating the shop of those books, right? So. Um, and I never really looked at it that way until a couple of years ago, and I was called on it. And they were like, right, right. So um, I still say cons are tricky. Cons can be a great place. Cons are a great place to, to if you're good at what you do. Cons are a great place to meet people and make new customers for sure, uh, especially on secondhand stuff, on on collectibles, right? Because they get to know you, they buy something off you, they'll come down to your shop maybe when it's time to sell they'll still they'll approach you as one of the people that they offer the stuff to um a whole bunch of good things come from cons right but uh, the economic model of the big cons were that they became very expensive as well and um so it's a mixed blessing i think i think it's not all negative for comic shops that there were no cons this year believe it or not i think it return some people into a more regular uh, comic shop mode. And um, I mean, if you asked me if they were there, I would have went to them and it would have done well, but they weren't there and we did fine.
0: Right. Right. And, and considering let's, let's move away from the, the, uh, the monthly issues, the new ones, mm-hmm. and let's move into, you know, the, the vintage books. And you are running ICE, yep. and I've been on uh, taking a look at some of the, um, the some of the collection that you have up there, and you've got some some dynamite books. Is that market kind of getting more energy with the uncertainty, with the the new monthly books that are coming out?
1: Yeah, uh, a couple of couple of things surprised us uh, this year. Oftentimes. I had a, I did a podcast once earlier this year. We talked about um, whether the different type of people that, that uh, buy comics, right? There's a, a pure collector and there's a pure consumer. Yeah. And then there's everybody in between. I know lots of pure consumers. I know those Wednesday guys. That can't, it's mostly guys. Uh, they come in. They cannot wait to read that next chapter of the story they go right to their act. They, they grab the first one. They could have 17 bends in it, Steve. They don't care, right? <laughs> it's, they're, 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 they're there to consume the content. That's right. all. They have zero interest in collecting, right? Now, they're in a box, and believe it or not, some of them have given, when, when, when the boxes got too full, they've given us back to comics to give away to kids, right? right. But then there are the collectors, that we're going to talk about and some of them don't read comics. No interest in reading comics. They, 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 they collect for the value they collect to make money or they collect to collect, even just to collect, right. Just because they're a collector, but they don't read them. They, oh man, I really need uh, issue number 81 of Spidey. Then I'll have my whole run from 70 to a hundred. Right. But when they get it, they're not going to read it and they've never read it. Right. So, uh, that that is kind of a unique, there's two unique polarizing views. But, um, but, And there's a lot of people in between, in my point. And the degree of in between to the left and to the right and center is probably evenly distributed. I don't know. But um, our, to our surprise, um, back issue sales online absolutely took off. One reason you understand why, there's no cons. The second reason we couldn't understand why is there was lockdown and people weren't working. Mm. So we thought the economics of it were gonna was going to hurt uh, collectors. We thought the economics of the shutdown, we thought right. the economics of people not working, staying home, and, and, and going on serve uh, uh, we thought that that was going to hurt, and it, it didn't. We knew that there would be pent-up demand, people couldn't go to cons, and so people are going to sit at home online and buy stuff. We just didn't know how much they could afford and what they were spending way surpassed their expectations, what they would.
0: And I assume too, the reality of the situation is that there are a lot of people that have those books that want to move them because they need money too.
1: Right now that was, that was the catch 22 though. Um, A comic book shop would always have a steady stream of collections coming through over, over a year. Well, uh, from the middle of March into the fall, hardly anybody is bringing anything in because mm-hmm. A, the lockdown at the beginning, and B, the nervousness of just, you know, of, of a lot of people inviting you into their home to look at a collection or coming into the coffee shop. Right. There's still people that told you know, it's not a necessity for me to go there i don't want to go there until this whole thing blows over right so what we found is it was a seller's market we had an issue of trying to source stuff we couldn't buy this stuff we could have done even better had we had access to purchase things people weren't bringing stuff into the store so we had luckily uh you know like i told you before mr hoarder (laughs) <laughs> we had we had all that convention stock that we were able now not to, we don't have to go to a convention. So that became online stock. That became eBay stock. That became ice stock. And that stuff was selling through beautifully at a consistent, strong pace all the way through. But the pipeline was getting shorter and shorter. Like, uh, you know, we were in danger, had nothing come in at all. We might be out of stuff to sell by now, right? So, mm-hmm. but. Luckily, things have been trickling in, so it's kind of uh, you know things are kind of starting to get back to normal now as we approach the new year. But um, yeah, there was an issue where we, we were we were for about a six month period we were selling way at a way stronger pace than we were taking in. Um, so the second end for us is because we also can sign right so. Luckily, we were able to sign on a couple of really good consigners. So they kept our stock because, to the person going to our websites, you know, they just see comics, right? So we were able to keep up the pace and keep up the quality and the quantity to a satisfactory level for us thanks to consigners. If it wasn't for the consigners, we would have ran out a long time ago because we were able to move books 10 times faster than we were able to take personally as a business buy them outright. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's been crazy how strong the collectibles market has been online since COVID.
0: And if someone is looking to, you know, either augment their collection or begin to dabble into uh, back issues and, 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 you know, get into the, the premier books, what would your advice be um, maybe characters to, to, to look at specific issues, uh, specific runs, even.
1: Um, I read a book once. It said, uh, I think it's called skin in the game. It's a new book. It's like, so technically you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't give advice that you don't take yourself. It's, it's the, catch. <laughs> it's the catch, Right. Because if right. you have no skin in the game, it costs you nothing to make a mistake. So, sure. uh, uh, so I'll try to stick with the stuff I believe in. Uh, so I'll try to be true to the book, at least. Um, uh, what I do is I kind of develop, well, everybody should probably develop a little checklist. So, um, and as many points on that checklist as you can check off, that becomes a better and better investment. Uh, so the number one thing, the number one driver of value character introduction. Character introduction is, you gotta, this book contains the first appearance of Batman. That's an important book. Everybody wants it. It's worth a million dollars, right? Because it's scarce. Um, The second, probably most important driver in uh, comics right now is the cover. Cover appeal. Because when you're talking about investing comics, Steve, you're, you're generally going to end up encapsulating mm-hmm. it, and grading it. So, what, what when you encapsulate a comic, it's, it's weird because a comic book. Think about stamp, coin, a coin, a sports card. Okay, mm-hmm. you encapsulate it like those things are. You know, are really expensive. Bonus Wagner, Wayne Gretzky, you, you name it, right? Uh, a 1948 silver dollar, I don't even know what the years are, which ones are important, but some Queen Victoria stamp. What you pay for is what you see. The collectible that you are paying for, you see with your eyes. That is the value right there. When, when you and I go out and split and we give 50,000 bucks each to co-own a Pep Comics number 22 from 1941 or whatever it's from, uh, we're buying that because that's the first appearance of Archie Andrews. Right. And Archie, of course, is massive. He's a massive pop culture phenomenon. But that was a backup story in that book. That was like near the end, six-page backup story. He's nowhere to be seen on the cover, right? But we're, here we are, we just spent 125000 bucks, and we have like the shield, patriotic hero in the front beating up some Nazis probably. I don't know. I forget what's on the cover. What we paid for is buried inside that we can't see. It's kind of an odd thing. Comics are the only, only you know, the value may be inside, but when you encapsulate it, you don't see what you paid for.
0: you remember not to cut you off, but you remember in the nineties
1: mm-hmm.
0: when, um, I think the Spider-Man number one came out and X-Men number one came right, out right. with Jim Lee and, and McFarlane's um, runs on those books. Part of the boom was that people bought multiple copies because we right. bag one yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, read, read <laughs> and read the no, other and no. read the other one.
1: They bag forty nine. That's what they were doing back then. Yeah. But um, so okay, covers like a good battle cover. Well, like um, if you go into the horror books of the 1950s, you know, a decapitation cover, a nasty, you know, horror cover that's just nasty. You know, Black Cat 50, with the guy's face melting. That, these, these are the books everybody wants. Um, good Girl Art, Matt Baker drawing a very voluptuous mm-hmm. pretty girl on the cover. That's right. the one everybody wants. So that's probably the number two driver is, is, is covers. So if you get a, 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 a first appearance of the character introduced, and then you get a good cover, let me go back to the first appearance of the character. Uh, if the character is also on the cover, that's even better. Right. So um, like I said, Pep Twenty Two, Strange Tales one ten. Did you know Strange Tales one ten First Doctor Strange is the only early Marvel key that doesn't have the hero on the cover, like the personage?
0: I I, the I, I didn't know that. What about yeah. what oh, about um know. but what about um I guess Wolverine, one eighty one is the big one.
1: He was on the cover, yeah.
0: But he showed up in the last page, yeah, on the last yeah. panel of panel of one eighty. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah. he, I guess he's the one, the exception to the rule now, right? Well,
1: I, I was just talking about the, the, the launch of Marvel, the nineteen sixties. Oh, oh, I see, I
0: see. Yeah, okay. Up
1: until Daredevil one type thing, the kind of classic, uh, A- Amazing Fantasy fifteen, Hulk one, Fantastic, right? Marvel, Tales of Suspense thirty nine with Iron Man, all, all those books, Journey to Mystery eighty three with Thor, with Thor. All of them had the cover, uh, the character that they introduced on the cover, except Strange Tales one ten which introduced Dr. Strange, and he wasn't on the cover. But, um, so that's important. And then you have uh, scarcity's scarcity uh, is important. Scarcity uh, is important. And then you have scarcity of grade, which, because a lot of comics aren't scarce, especially comics maybe that most younger people will collect uh, of, of, say, the last, since 1990, let's say. The comics may not be scarce, but they may be scarce in grade that makes sense so um, uh, the best example is uh, New Mutants 98 it's first appearance in Deadpool, right there are I don't know Steve there might be 4,000 copies at 9.8 9.8 is a really high grade like, you know almost perfect right um, and that book can trade upwards of a thousand dollars at 9.8 which is really good for a book that plenty but there are about 11 copies at 9.9. That book is a $20,000 book at 9.9, hmm. right? Because you're getting an iconic character, first appearance, he's on the cover. The cover's pretty good, but you're also getting scarcity in, in, in terms built into the grade, in right? So, uh, so, I mean, again, here are all these checklists. You know? Is it a battle cover? check it off is it uh um like I said a first appearance is it uh, there I mean I guess I, sh- I should probably make one of these lists shouldn't I,
0: I think that might be something you should <laughs> look at yeah I think it should I
1: should kind of like checklist with guys who walk around the convention going, mm, let me get my pencil out <laughs> but um, yeah like so the thing though is is what you and I as kind of old timers because uh, we're kind of bronze age guys right yeah. Um, what I've noticed over the last uh, five or six years is there's a super, super active collecting market for books from 2008 up, right? Uh, Miles Morales is a perfect example. Um, uh, The one, uh, what's the, what's the girl that's going to take over as Black Panther now?
0: Oh, um, Shuri.
1: Shuri, right. So, um, Her first appearance was in one of the Black Panther issues, maybe eight years ago, right? Um, These are are the Clone Wars number one, because Clone Wars number one was about 10 years ago or so, and that had the first appearance of a character that now is prominent in the Mandalorian um, uh, TV series, so everybody wants that book, so you don't it doesn't have to be an amazing fantasy 15 it doesn't have to be a a hulk 181 even it could be books uh because the young people that are in their 20s let's say they're very active on things that they like right Right. they collect the things that they like so we as the generation before we can't discount the values i think that generations always think that the new stuff is crap and you know it's the old stuff that's good right it's like music or whatever
0: yeah, but, music, movies, you know. Movies,
1: whatever. Uh, but the thing is, is this is what the young people, younger people are consuming. And these are the characters that reverberate and, and, and touch nerves with them, right? Uh, Fantastic Four, who the hell are they? Grandma and grandpa's, uh, uh, you know, they don't care about Fantastic Four. They care about Shiri. They care about uh, Miles Morales. They care about... Uh, uh, Miss Marvel. Yeah, Miss Marvel. They care about things that um, are relevant to them right now. And and these characters may have been introduced five, six, seven years right? And the cool part about that is um, comic distribution over those years was at its historic Mm low. So there's a little bit of built-in scarcity, relative scarcity. So in 2011, you may have had 55,000 copies printed of that book with that character. I guarantee you Hulk 181, it was pro- Hulk probably wasn't even a good selling title. It probably had 400,000 copies printed. You know, uh, you know, Archie in the 19, late 1940s had 6 million copies printed, right? Uh, there were just, now obviously a lot of them got thrown away. But my point is, in the early 2010s, uh, print runs weren't high you know, other than, let's say, Batman or something like that. Right. Uh, But um, so, like, there, I hate when somebody tells me, oh, you know, everything is realized. I can't invest anymore. I can't guess right. Well, that's not true. Uh, Common collecting is still super vibrant as of right now. uh, And it's super vibrant, really, from the Golden Age to the Silver Age to the Bronze Age through the Copper Age and through the now age. You know, there are active participants in it that are are are, are crazy. The only thing I would I would kind of um, caution for a new collector is you know you kinda if you're collecting, buy with your heart. If you're investing, do a little homework. Like like is the character relevant? Is can the character and does he have or she have staying power? Um, you know are a bunch of these things checked off that I need to, uh, you know, um, kind of not assure, sure, but kind of to hedge that I at least have some value of the stuff going forward. Cause um, I, I don't think comic collecting is going away is my point. I think it's uh, just changing.
0: And you're mentioning um, scarcity being a major factor. I think with the low print runs of um, you know, maybe a decade ago, And then the introduction of five or six variants, sometimes seven variants on a book. There are some books that are pretty valuable right now because, you know, there's a J. Scott Campbell cover, right? I think that happened in a couple of the Spidey, Spidey arcs. You you know, if you have the regular cover, you know, the, you know, A or B cover Mm. books worth something, but if you have that special cover by a hot artist, that's what really skyrockets that book in terms of a value.
1: Well, when we're going back to like that checklist, you know, we didn't mention artists, but, you know, Dave Stevens, J. Scott Campbell, you know, uh, going back to, you know, Matt Baker. Um, but then the reason why J. Scott Campbell covers are so good, it usually has to do with Mary Jane Foster, right?
0: <laughs> you hear me? Yeah, pretty much. Mary, that, Jane, Mary, Mary Jane or, or Black Cat, for sure. That's right.
1: It has nothing to do with Spider-Man. But, uh, and that's because he through women very provocatively and in, in, in a sexy way that, that guys like right and right. those covers became uh sought after for the art she was female art um but that you know like so that checks off covers and then you get j, j Stock campbell and that checks off an artist and then you go amazing spider-man that checks off title because if you're investing you want to invest in a title that's heavily collected and there's no heavier collective title in comics than Amazing Spider-Man from beginning to end. Amazing Spider-Man is, you know, probably double the next most collected title. And that might be like Batman or X-Men or something like that. But Amazing Spider-Man just blows everybody away. So if you can stick to, um, I always say that say, say somebody wanted the Obama. Right. Uh, I think more people prefer the Spider-Man cover than the Savage Dragon. (laughs) Uh, Because Savage Dragon is an image title of a character that nobody really cares about. I'm not saying nobody really, relative to Spider-Man, right? So if you're going to have one keepsake from that Obama election, it would have been the Amazing Spider-Man cover. Because that checks off, uh, you know... uh, the association to a very collective cover. So you're embedded in something that a lot of people collect to begin with. So when it comes time to sell down the road, you have that protection of it being embedded in a very collective title, right? So the demand will be there more so than more of a obscure um, title that not as many.
0: And, and not to dig too far into the weeds, but would the price variance, the Canadian price variance, would that alter anything? Or does that not really affect the major? Well, people
1: People manufacture, it's funny, you, you almost manufacture scarcity as collectors, right? We, right. We, we look for scarcity when it's not there. And I've been proven wrong 100 times. Was, <laughs> 15 years ago, I was telling people, guys, that's 35 cent Star Wars. It's just a sticker. It's the same book. Why are you paying five times more, 10 times more than you would for a regular one? Since then, it's now 2,000 times more than the regular one. Like it's just done nothing but blow up, right? So obviously nobody listens to me, which is probably a good thing. But, uh, but, but that's scarcity. That's, that's manufactured scarcity. That's collectors differentiating the price sticker because one has, you know, one 100th or whatever it is of the availability. Uh, so with the Canadian price variance, the same thing, Canadian price variance are only sold in Canada. So I mean, if you, if we use just rough math, one-tenth of the available copies, because Canada roughly the market is roughly one-tenth of the American market. Right? So, and oddly enough, as
0: Canadians, who wants it more is the Americans. Right. right. That's and, right. And, yeah. It makes sense. Makes yeah,
1: sense. And, and who gets one almost every time they buy a collection is the Canadians, right? So (laughs) we, uh, we, we, you know, are are sitting in a favorable position with the Canadian price, right? Because, uh, that is a manufactured differential, differentiated scarcity. That's kind of, I'm not going to say made up because it's obviously there, but, um, it's made important by the collecting community. Like they, like they, right. they put they put uh, a certain level of importance on the fact that this Canadian price variant is about a tenth of the copies of the American one. So I want this one more.
0: And I assume there's probably like a cool factor to it too. Like you know, like when you get iconic movie posters, but it's like the Japanese version.
1: Right. Right.
0: You yeah. know, just yeah. for the collector, that's something that no one else has this, or very right. few people have this. Right. So even though it may not have uh, monetary value, but it's the, as you said, it's the connection that it, it has for the actual collector that makes it valuable.
1: Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But I think a lot of guys are buying it with the hopes of monetary value.
0: Right, but, down the line.
1: Down the line. But, um, and, and the, um, the mo- I think, I think, I'm going to, might be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think the most valuable comic of the last 15 years is that Delato Spider-Man variant, number 667, I believe okay. it is. Okay, okay. And I think like a 9.6, Steve, or a 9.8 can go for like 15,000 US.
0: My goodness.
1: Yeah, um, and I think the reason why it's the most expensive, I think they did the math and it might be the, the rarest of all the um, um, variants, the Spider-Man variants. Um, because there's no sexy Mary Jane on the cover. It's kind of like a a cool cover, but it's there's you know, it's not like it doesn't grab you. Like, Holy moly, look at this cover. Like no, no huge battle scene, no sexy girl. It's just the Delato variant that I think everybody missed when it came out. There might have been variant fatigue at the time and a lot of people didn't participate in that very, a lot of shops. And and I think you kind of, when everything sifted, it ended up being the one that nobody can find. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that's all you got to tell the collecting community is this is the hardest one to find. And then boom, right? It becomes the one everybody wants, right? And when everybody wants it, prices go crazy, right? So um, uh, that is scarcity. So that, that that's an example of uh it's not even perceived scarcity it's true scarcity but it's kind of conditional scarcity it's it's scarcity based on the cover being different than the other cover the book content is the same right but uh, when you're talking about collecting uh, that's basically purely driven on scarcity of that cover so um,
0: And I also want to go back to what you said earlier about the character, like character um, debuts, Yeah. because the one thing that I noticed about Mm Spider-Man is they also introduced a a, a plethora of villains in his run. And, you know, you can have someone like Morbius, um, Hobgoblin, who then, you know, through time, capture the public's imagination, and then they get their own movies, and then that issue Skyrockets, yeah, yeah.
1: Spider Man 101, um, is first Morbius, and that thing's through the roof right now because Morbius is going to be in some sort of right. film. Um,
0: it's a great then, cover, too. To be honest fantastic, with you.
1: fantastic. Uh, yeah. I think Gil Kane did that one,
0: yes, yeah, yeah. He was um, always ultra dynamic.
1: No, good. Uh, the guys were real muscular,
0: <laughs> yeah. Everything was there's no Zane. body fat, everything yeah. was like zero body fat no, on a Gil Kane Frank
1: Zane, muscular, not not Arnold, Frank Zane, Frank. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, it's funny, the character, they often say that you're, as a hero, you're as good as your rogues gallery. Absolutely. Right. So the two best rogues gallery comics probably belong to Spider-Man and Batman. Now, Agreed. are Spider-Man and Batman the most popular superheroes in the world? Uh, is, that, is that a coincidence, I guess, with my question? I, my answer would be probably not. Right? No. No. Right. So, um, it, it, I remember, I, I Steve, I, I used to do, I used to go to, uh, in class, you know, teachers would ask me to do like a history of comics thing. And uh, I would go to like grade fours or grade sixes, and I would always give them this project, right? So, and I would tell them about how superheroes were, were, were created for the time. You know, you know, anti-communist superheroes, superheroes fighting the axis, superheroes fighting, uh, you know, radioactive superheroes during the atomic age, um, so, and I ask the kids, I go, well, you know, look around you today, you know, what, you know, what are the world's troubles, you know? So what kind of hero can we create to combat them? You know, and of course, the number one thing would be like some sort of derivative of Man. you know, right. you know right. somebody to help the environment, you know, global warming and all that kind of stuff. So they get excited about creating like whatever they're creating. Man would be one of them or more, but I'll stick to that one. So they get excited when they come up with the concept, but not about—not even near half as excited when I finish the uh, uh, lesson with, okay, you have your hero. Now let's create a villain for him. Oh my God, the room explodes. The room explodes. Oh my God, we get to create a villain for him, right? And then the, the, the mind, everybody's mind is racing. You're coming up with a hundred different concepts and stuff. So villains are fun. Villains are <laughs> for cool. Sure. Villains are what makes the hero,
0: right? Well, think of Star Wars without Darth Vader.
1: Right, right.
0: right? Or there, or Batman
1: without Joker.
0: Batman without Joker. Yeah. Um, for me, Doc Ock is my favorite Spider-Man villain, right? right. right? Abomination for yeah. the Hulk. Yeah. Like right. everyone has to have an opposite. That's right. And, and for me, probably the guy that I enjoy reading the most is probably Dr. Doom. Right, yeah. You know, and, you know, considering wow. how things have gone in 2020, you can almost see him Being a real life figure someplace—that's
1: right. You know—that's right. (laughs) Think of all the uh, think of all the industrial sabotage and espionage that Disney had to do to get Doc Doom back into their stables. Oh, for sure. Because uh, Doc Doom was owned by Fox, and uh, Fox owned the Fantastic Four rights. And I remember, as a comic store, 2014, 15, 16, we 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 had a, a, a conscious discussion about. There's no Fantastic Four title. There's no Fantastic Four title on our new this week, walls, And, you know, we all came to the conclusion that Marvel is starving out Fox. They don't want to even publish a character that can help Fox's uh, stable. Right. So they they weren't contractually obligated to keep Fantastic Four going while Fox had the rights to that. So they use that lack of being contractually obligated to not put any current product out of that character. So eventually Fox capitulated and says, you know, I'm not sure just because of that, I'm sure they had you know, other avenues that they were going down. But, uh, and then when, um, the title went back to Marvel, you know, the whole universe lit up in terms of fans thinking about, Oh my God. Uh, the number one book that blew up at that time was fantastic for number five which is the first appearance of uh, dr doom right that book went from uh you know uh, a two thousand dollar copy became a five thousand dollar copy overnight just ridiculous right
0: but yeah
1: that's uh that's the power of a good villain and that's the power of uh uh when you know that the, the, the studio that owns the rights to it what can, Possibly be coming down the future. Fans with that villain,
0: exactly, and that's the type of villain that is also cross-title, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Joker works that way. Like a lot of Batman's villains get co-opted <laughs> for other heroes, like sure. Green Lantern. Not yeah. Green Lantern. Green Arrow right. has a lot of Batman's villains on the CW, yeah. right, and, and on the WB network, and a lot of Spider-Man villains become Daredevil villains. Mm-hmm well um, the number
1: one number one daredevil villain started
0: off as a spidey villain yeah absolutely it, 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 and I'd probably say maybe his number two or number three villain the Punisher yeah was a spidey villain too
1: that's right that's right
0: you yeah. know get your own so, villains Daredevil. get yeah, your own no, villains. Hey, come on no purple man <laughs> <in the episode. laughs> but now Jessica Jones took him so
1: right Stilt man
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah I think
1: maybe I think maybe his his Daredevil's number one generic, like, uh, homegrown villain is probably Bullseye.
0: For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then, I guess, Elektra.
1: Well, Elektra was kind of a love interest. Maybe Silver Samurai. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Um, who's the guy who uh, with the, the chain, not the chain, the blades on his... Uh, gladiator. Is it Gladiator? I forget. I can't Wh- remember his name. Whiplash.
1: No, no. Gladiator. Oh. No.
0: Whiplash, Whiplash is Iron Man
1: would Flash sorry, yeah. that was uh, Mickey Rourke.
0: Sorry. <laughs> Interesting yeah. casting. Interesting I casting.
1: Yeah, no, I, I forget. I, I know the guy you're talking about. I think it was the uh, Daredevil number eighteen or something like that. He was, was yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just forget. I forget. But you're right. Uh, it's all about villains. But...
0: So let me ask you a question. Growing up, and then you know, obviously having a store and looking at like probably more vintage books than some of the creators that were. You know, involved in those books. What for you, or which which book for you, or which run or arc for you holds um, kind of like a, a special place in your heart? Yeah,
1: uh, there's a few. Um, uh, the Galactus trilogy mm. is the best comic trilogy ever. Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, uh, introduction of uh, Galactus and Silver Surfer, Fantastic Four, just like. Mind bogglingly good, I thought. Um, I really loved uh, Born Again, Frank Miller's Daredevil story. Right. Born right. Again, just like, again, off the chart type of stuff. Uh, I liked Batman Year One better than I did Dark Knight. I mm. thought Dark Knight was a little heavy and weighty, and, and it read more like a novel, uh, whereas Year One read like pure comic book Joy, right? Uh, again, that was Frank Miller. Yes. Um, in general, I think Spider Man is my favorite hero. And, and not in any particular stories per se, but I like all his stories. I like the way he interacted with snark, snark, and humor with, 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 with the villains, right? Yeah. I just, you know, that annoying little pest type of guy. And, and I really like the humor, uh, the way Spider Man was written. So that was probably my number one title growing up. And then, believe it or not, I, I really enjoyed reading Conan, but um, the magazine. Yes. The magazine, yeah. Black and White, the art was uh, unbelievably good. And the content yeah. was a little bit more adulty than uh, the comic was. Uh, so those, I think those were my favorites. So I like specific stories, definitely. The Galactus Trilogy and Born Again. I, I, liked, I enjoyed uh Alan Moore stuff. I enjoyed things like... Uh, um, when when uh, Brew Baker was doing Daredevil, mm-hmm. uh, I enjoyed. I like I, writers like Raka. I like writers like uh, Bendis. You know, a lot of guys don't like Bendis. He he took a two issue story and made it eight issues. It's, it's, it's the knock on Bendis, right? <laughs> he stretched things out. Um, but I, I like I like his pacing. I like his uh, stuff. But uh, it, Bendis reads better in a graphic. Right, right. Because you get more to consume there. You, you, you just uh, go through one of his comics too quickly. But uh, I like King when he's doing Batman. You know, like yeah. it's funny. I had a I had a in my blog this year. I was talking about comic book values, and and I was posting something every week on what uh, this is the thing I'm going to uh, use to make my list by the uh, way, and. I was thinking how odd it is that, you know, this is a Frank Frazetta cover, we're going to buy it, right? This is a J. Scott Campbell cover, we're going to buy it. You know, this is an introduction of a villain, we're going to buy it. This is um, a great battle cover, we're going to buy it, or whatever. There's no monetary value given to writers as a collectible. Nobody ever, you know, when you're buying the old Hulk thing, you're going, man, this is Jim Steranko. Look at this. This is amazing. Nobody says, hey, you know, this was written by uh, Harlan Ellison. I'm going to buy this. Right. Nobody. Like, the artist doesn't get any play in terms of collectability, in terms of adding value to the play. It's odd, right? Like Denny O'Neill, right? Those are great stories. But the value, Neil Adams brings the story. Uh... uh value it's right. it's odd that the you know pretty well the most important part of the book the writing. Is the that's,
0: part the of the book, that's the start that's that's the start right
1: pretty well the uh, the uh the collectors overlook who the creator was in terms of the writing aspect.
0: yeah and, and you like you think about it Claremont had a, an amazing roster of yeah. artists to yeah. tell his x-men tale Right?
1: right,
0: but you still think of those artists,
1: yeah. Burn. Right,
0: the oh, burn yeah. run, right? Yeah, you know? yeah
1: it's, it's odd. It's it's uh, it's something that's not right. Uh, but you know, when you look at books that were uh, produced in the '40s, '50s, '60s, '70s, when you look at the connotation, not the connotation, the little write-ups on whether it's a price guide or whether it's um, uh, a CGC label you hardly ever see who was written by, mm-hmm. If that adds value. If there's something special about a book, it'll be because it is a fine cover or you know that kind of thing. So it's- um,
0: and, Unless you have a dual threat where it's the writer and the artist are the same person.
1: same Like Frank Miller,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, B. McFarlane,
1: McFarlane right. yeah. But it's more for McFarlane's art, but uh, yeah,
0: you're yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, well, when you think about it, um, it's more for his art. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Yeah,
1: yeah. but uh, it, it's an injustice that I don't think is going to be addressed anytime soon.
0: I think it's the uh, the case of it being a visual medium, yeah. and so um, you know, the shine goes to the the person that that realizes it. It's kind of like um, I always look at the artist almost as the actor. In a, in a film yeah. so you can watch james bond yeah and there's some people that only love connery right? right yeah and roger moore no thank you yeah even though it's the same same production house yep. everything right and it's the same thing with certain titles like you might have someone who is a mcfarland fan
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they might be an eric larson fan but yeah. they're not a ron friends fan right for, for a spider-man run or uh, or herb uh, trimp Versus yeah. salby Semba, like yeah. it, it's it's very interesting. Same characters, sometimes same writer, but you know.
1: You know what? Uh, what character is the most resilient character in the history of comics by uh, tenfold uh, is Batman. So what Batman is is a vehicle for creative teams, and he's so resilient that. You can get, like, Paul Pope and guys like that do really cool interpretations that do well when they come out. But they're so out in left field for the character, but the character just bounces off it. Like, you know, there's no sacrilege. There's no sacrilege when creative teams uh, come and do Batman. Batman is so – can weather almost anything, right? And it's funny how many world-famous creator teams made their name on Batman. Right, Batman is like he's uh you might not want to do that with you know I don't know some other lesser characters because you know people would cry foul
0: well I think I think you've hit hit uh, a good point there because you you think of Batman Batman now has probably gone back to his roots mm-hmm. right those early books were pretty pretty dark yeah. right yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Noirish yeah. then it then you go into like the 40s and the 50s. And in the 60s, he gets a lot lighter and yeah. then it becomes ultimate camp. You have Batmite running around and stuff like this. Yeah. And then O'Neill and, and Adams come along and yeah. basically ground it again.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's like he's Sherlock Holmes meets James Bond, yeah. you know, really, really, really tight stories, great art.
1: Yeah.
0: And then Miller takes him darker, yeah. you know, dystopia future. And then since then, we've had a whole bunch of different interpretations of him.
1: Right, that's right.
0: Yeah. And he is the bulletproof character yeah. for DC. I don't think, I agree with you. I don't know, like you can't take Superman too dark. No. You can't take Spider-Man too dark. No. I um,
1: tried it with old man Spider-Man. Everybody hated that one. Remember that yeah, one? Yeah,
0: and, and even when well. the, 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 around the clone saga mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And even some of Straczynski's run was a bit dark and and is it, it, like I would say that while Batman is bulletproof I think that someone like Spider-Man a, a character like Spider-Man people are overly protective of.
1: Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, you're it's
0: right. It's like we you're want right. it this way. Yeah. And and I think maybe Bendis found the magic by I'm going to give you more Spider-Man stories but I'm not giving you Peter Parker stories.
1: Right. 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 I get it.
0: Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think I think I think that's the way it goes and I think the hero that has probably survived the most change, which has been built into his personality, has been the Hulk. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that's the classic Jekyll and Hyde thing. Where Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. The thing with the Hulk for, for me was, um, the Hulk was all about how he was drawn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. More than any other hero. More than any other character. you had to get the Hulk. Uh, or, else, or else I didn't agree with the Hulk. Like that oversized, lumbering thing that McFarland did, I didn't like at all, right? I just didn't like it. Uh, and then... Um, yeah,
0: Diodato, like, Diodato, I think, had him where he was
1: Yeah. massive. Yeah, and that one, like, like, I don't want to say, it's almost like that burn, Trimp style of Hulk was my favorite, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, uh, that touch of humanity still you know the, uh, the Jackie Gleason black hair going off to the side I don't know uh, <laughs> but yeah the Hulk the Hulk is, 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 is yeah, I, you had to have him drawn right or, or I wasn't into him. It's funny. It's funny how we're temperamental and we're protective and possessive of our heroes like that. It seems like Batman you can, you can throw him at you could throw him at me any way you want. I'll give it a go, right?
0: Oh, for sure.
1: I mean, she started changing my Hulk and I just cry foul. Right? It's, it's weird. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it is strange. Like, I, I even liked um, King's um, interpretation of when he had the Joker be Batman.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I thought this was fantastic because, you yeah. know, the whole a- um, adage of, you know, two sides of the same coin kind of thing. Right. And I thought that was a, a really, really, really great story. But I don't know if you could do that. Like, I know they kind of did it with Spider-Man when they had right. him die. With Superior Spider-Man, but it doesn't work the same, like like because you eliminated Peter out of the the equation anyway, right? Peter's every man, yeah, Um, and that's what connects you to that character. Batman is almost aspirational, but so wounded that you get it, and he's all about vengeance. Yeah, you're
1: absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's funny uh, in terms of alter egos. We talked about that. You know, there are. uh, It's funny, Peter, though. Is the one that we successfully branched off. Of. I think about 20 years ago, somebody telling you there's going to be a successful Spider-Man. that's not Peter Parker, right? We'd all think, you know, right? Uh, yeah. That's not happening, but it's happening, right? But they're, they're really we can't seem to get away from Bruce Wayne from our Batman and any, mm-hmm. kind of, any
0: kind of
1: any kind of sticking long term thing that that seem viable
0: yeah and I think I think why we can't is because what made Bruce yeah is intrinsic to him right and then everyone else plays off of that so you've got Nightwing and Barbara and Jim and anyone else who kind of falls into the bat family but the thing that makes Peter kind of connect with it with his audience is that he could be anyone. And I think that's what Spider-Verse got right.
1: Right. I guess you're right. Yeah. Right?
0: Parker could be any one of us. Mm-hmm. Gender, shade, whatever. Yep. And then it's how do you deal as being the everyman? Because not everyone has a violent beginning to their that's right. That's right. to their life, right? That then determines how they play out. And then you're lucky enough to be a billionaire. So as terrible as Bruce's um origin is he does have certain comforts that allow him to manage what he has to, to do in his later life but parker's just struggling <laughs> trying to make rent yep. and when he does stuff it goes wrong like I, I don't i don't think there's really a bruce wayne right in batman batman's batman right spider man is whomever puts on that mask but is right. dealing with real life
1: stuff. and you're right through through the mask of spider-man You see Peter Parker. Yeah. Uh in the mannerisms and and, and, and the struggles. But through the cowl, you don't see Bruce Wayne. All you see is Batman. In a way. I mean, like like And
0: and, and he's repressed too, right? Repressed rage, repressed angst, anger, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Good point.
0: And I think that's and I think that's why the Hulk's popular, because the Hulk allows everyone to kinda just go nuts. Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: You wanna you get mad? Hulk out, man. And people are (laughs) without all the damage yeah because you know the taxes the the taxes wherever he is it's just terrible
1: I know tell me about
0: it oh Walt this has been great I had a fun time chatting comics and and reconnecting again where can people find you to learn more about Big B and also Ice
1: um Big B I think I think (laughs) I think we're at bigbcomics.com just the letter B uh ICE is, uh, iComicExchange.com. Um, I was going to say you can run into us at a show, but we can't, can we? Uh, our our shop is, uh, in Hamilton on Upper James, 1045 Upper James. And, uh, we're still open. Um, we, uh, we love the medium. We love, uh, we love what we do. Uh, it's a fun thing. Um, I, I like, uh, all the people I meet. And, uh, and uh think about comic collecting and comic, uh, it seems to attract a uh, positive group, you know, uh, people come to the store. It's funny, when you go into a comic store, and I'm sure not just ours, uh, when you go into a comic store on a Wednesday, uh, you get, you know, pardon the Beach Boy phrase, but you get good vibrations coming out mm. of there. Just every single person in there wants to be in there. They couldn't right. wait. They couldn't wait to get there. And once they're there, they're in a place that they really like. And it's just, it's, just, it's, it's a place that exudes so much positive energy. And uh, we like that. We're going to keep it going. And uh, thanks to you, we're spreading the word.
0: Oh, no, thank you. Thanks for, uh, for stopping by and spending some time with us and uh, being able to chat. And I look forward to those uh, opportunities again to kind of walk in through the store, enjoy you know, hanging out with you guys and then also running in to you guys at shows. All right. Thank you. All right. You take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. And once again, a special thank you to Walter Duralia. We look forward to your comments. So reach out to us on Facebook and at Comics Asylum on Instagram and Twitter.